0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac Security. For December 6, 2019. In this week's episode, we take a look at Twitter verification, shutting off geolocation on your phone, Russia demands spyware, internet-connected TVs, juice jacking, and malware disguised as cryptocurrency. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: So how was Black Friday, Josh? Actually, I should ask you, how was your Thanksgiving first? But um, how was Black Friday? Uh it, it was good. Th- Thanksgiving was good too.
2: Black Friday, um let's see. We got a, a couple of deals. There were a couple of things we were kind of uh not necessarily actively looking for deals on, but uh we saw an, we got an advertisement in the mail letting us know about a particular sale that uh was also available online, so that was nice. We didn't have to go to any stores, which um is a great thing because which is good because you don't need to get your armor out. Uh yeah, exactly. I you know, you hear about these stories about people getting trampled and literally to death even. That's a scary thing. I can't even yeah, it,
1: It's true. Yeah. yeah um so some of the some of the big chains here have decided to not do black friday stuff in store anymore right right and um so that's
2: totally understandable of course um but uh yeah online black friday sales uh you know there there were some some good ones we were able to take advantage of so yeah it it was it was a good shopping holiday how about you kirk did you get any any good deals on
1: anything Well, I told you I wanted to get a freezer and I looked at all the deals and the prices were exactly the same as they were in October and August and March. So I didn't get a freezer. I did, however, buy a Dyson handheld vacuum cleaner. Oh, Um, I bought one of those two years ago, particularly for my office. Um, I've got a lot of electronics and you want to keep the dust out. And it's really practical to have a little handheld. So, we've been away for two weeks, and there's a bit of news that we've been holding on to that we haven't discussed yet. And one of them is about Twitter. Now, I have a verified account on Twitter, which means I have that little blue check mark next to my name. Josh, you don't have one, do you?
2: Uh, no, not yet. Um, it's a long story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, initially, Twitter would contact people to verify them. Or if it was, you know, a celebrity or a famous politician, I would assume that their people would contact Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was a period when they opened it up to everyone; anyone could apply, and I did. Um, since at the time I was writing a lot for MacWorld, and all the MacWorld authors had been verified proactively by Twitter some years before, they immediately gave me the verified check mark. Now, in a recent episode, we talked about the chain of trust, and this is part of the chain of trust, that when you see that someone is verified, it's kind of like that padlock in the the address bar of your web browser. It means that the name that you're seeing corresponds to the real identity of the person or organization. Yeah, and
2: this is actually part of the reason why Twitter is no longer uh, allowing people to apply for a verified account, because a lot of What what Twitter is concerned about is they don't want people to mistake the meaning of that verified checkmark. The only thing that that checkmark is supposed to mean is that Twitter has verified that the name on the account matches the name of this person in real life. That's the only thing that that verified checkmark is supposed to mean. But people take it to mean this person is trustworthy, or you know, this person is somebody that Twitter endorses, or th- that Twitter thinks is popular or important, and that was never the intention of the blue check mark, according to Twitter,
1: right? And the fact that it's often celebrities and politicians who get it does make you think that there is some value judgment in that exactly that these people are more important. It's true that you know, compared to a lot of other people, I'm not really that important. And being verified, um, how many people are not going to trust me being me because I'm verified? It's not the same level. We've got a story from the 19th of November. Now, I'm in the UK and we've got an election coming up next week. And there was an election debate and the Conservative Party decided to change the name of their press office Twitter account. So the Twitter handle is at CCHQ Press. The Conservative something headquarters. Um, during a debate between the Prime Minister and the leader of the Labour Party, this account changed its name. Now, you can't change the Twitter handle after the app, but you can change the visible name. My Twitter handle is McElhern, but my visible Twitter name is Kirk McElhern. I don't have to have my full name, but that's the way I set it up. So, what the Conservative Party did is they changed the name to Fact Check UK. There are a lot of organizations here that are fact checkers. All the TV stations and newspapers, they have these fact check pages and and sections. And what the conservatives were doing was basically responding to comments uh, made by the leader of the Labour Party that they disagreed with. And this is kind of problematic because while you would still see the Twitter handle after the ad, if someone repeated a tweet, you would only see that it came from Fact Check UK with a little blue check next to it. Um, they did this for the duration of the debate. As soon as the debate was over, they changed the name back. So it's obvious that this was just trickery in order to try to pass off their political opinions as something people would think is true. And what you said earlier, that blue check is supposed to only validate the name. And here they were kind of making it seem like, oh, well, they're called Fact Check UK. They've got a blue check. That means they are a fact checker.
2: Right, exactly. So, and we're not going to get too into you know particular politics, but this is something to be aware of, and and it's a good follow up to our discussion that we had last week um, on last week's episode. That is about uh, about this whole chain of trust, and trust is not directly a privacy or security topic. It's something that is very closely associated with this idea of you know staying safe. Um, you, you need to know who to trust. And, uh, and what sorts of things to look out for, you know, if there are potential places where you could get tricked if you're not paying close attention?
1: Well, in that case, it is a privacy and security issue. It's, it's at least a security issue, because as you say, if you could get tricked by someone pretending to be someone else, your bank, for example, then this is still a security issue. I mean, the Venn diagram slightly overlaps yeah, here, Right. right? It's it's not 100% computer security, but it is the kind of thing to be aware of. It's pretty deceptive for a political party to do this. Now, interestingly, Twitter's head of Europe, whatever, the following day replied and said, ooh, this wasn't good. If it happens again, we'll take action. Because according to the rules, verified accounts are not allowed to change their names. There can be some exceptions. I know that here, again, we're in an election campaign. So someone who has their name followed by MP can remove the MP because technically between during an election campaign, they're no longer an MP until they're reelected or not. And you may have noticed some people around Halloween, they make kind of funny Halloween names with things like words like scary and pumpkin and things like that. So there's nothing really wrong with that, but changing a name in order to be deceptive, that's, that's a little bit much.
2: Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm glad that this is something that is at least against Twitter's policies. So hopefully it won't happen very often, but it is something to look out for.
1: Okay, so Brian Krebs, who is a I guess he's an independent security researcher, um, reported just a couple of days ago the iPhone 11 Pro's location data puzzler. And now there's a couple of things that are interesting here. He's talking only about the iPhone 11 Pro and not the iPhone 11. Um, but apparently, even when location services are off, the device is still giving out some location information. This is pretty worrisome, isn't it?
2: Yeah, th- this is one of those things where, um, honestly, I'm not terribly surprised about this because it's th- there are certain bits of information that are just sort of a, a necessary part of using uh, a mobile phone. Obviously your carrier knows where you are at any moment because of cell phone tower triangulation or, you know, whatever satellites Um, there's, there's all sorts of different things. Uh, Your phones, every phone has GPS built in, right? Every phone has uh, has the ability to be located. Although you can switch off the ability for certain third party apps um, to know your location you can't necessarily fully switch off the ability to be located.
1: Well, in addition to, so I'm looking in the settings uh, on my iPhone 11. So if you go to settings, privacy, location services, then go all the way down to the bottom, you'll see system services. And well, there are tons of location settings in here. Things like cell network search, which you kind of need to find a cell network. Um, Find my iPhone, for example. Uh, motion calibration and distance, setting the time zone, Wi-Fi calling. There are a lot of them. So there, and and these are not any settings that you should really turn on or turn off. The only one I turned off is location-based Apple ads because, well, it's ads. I don't really care about that, but there's also product improvement. iPhone analytics, popular near me, routing and traffic and improved maps. There's a lot of location searching going on. If only from iOS and not the apps.
2: Yeah. And so the problem here is that people are, are noticing that even when they have specifically turned off location data of certain types, there's some data that is sent to Apple anyway, even if you've got all of the, the, the sliders, you know, set to off, you know, if they, if you don't want Apple to know anything about your location, theoretically you should be able to turn all that off and Uh, so this was brought up to Apple with, and there's a a video in Krebs article, um, uh, showing that if you turn all of these things off, then, um, you know, evidently Apple still can get your location. Um, and that's where the concern is. People are saying, well, wait a minute, Apple shouldn't know where I am because I've told it not to know where I am. Uh, and Apple says, well, this isn't really a problem. This is expected behavior. Um, we need to know location data for certain things. And, you know, so this is not something that is in any, in any way like harmful to your privacy or security, you know, um, so don't worry about
1: it. <laughs> don't look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> this is what's called a boolean. it's either on or off, right? If it's off, you expect it to be off. If it's on, you expect it to be on. And here it's off and it's on at the same time. So this is a bit of a strange thing. Um, I I'm curious to see, cause this only happened a couple of days ago. So I'm curious to see what becomes of this. I think one of the problems is with all this stuff and think about how much time we spend explaining this, both on the podcast and in articles on the integral Mac security blog, um, because there's so much for users to know. That it takes a lot of explaining, and if we have to explain to them, well, off doesn't really mean off, and what does off mean, and when is off on? It makes it very difficult for people who aren't specialized in this like we are to understand any of this and to trust anything that they have. Yeah.
2: So, so this is a, a bit of a problem, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, it's one of those things that again, I, I, I also think that people need to look at this from the perspective of. Uh, expect that your carrier is always going to have the ability to know where you are. And it's not terribly surprising that in the case of the manufacturer of the device, you know, w- w- Apple does the whole thing. They, they do hardware and software. It's all integrated. Um, and to completely prevent Apple from knowing where you are, um, you know, maybe you should be able to turn that off. Okay. I mean, that that's certainly I, I, I think people can make a, a case for that. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if Apple ever really makes it completely possible to hide your location from Apple.
1: Okay, we're gonna take a break now. And when we come back, we've got some more news for you
0: if you or someone you know has got a new macbook or imac or switched to the mac from windows be sure to check out intigo's new mac user center it's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your mac intigo's new mac user center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time of course one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install mac security software from intigo to keep yourself protected And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intigo.com today.
1: Okay. in other recent news, Russia has signed a new law requiring that all smartphones and other devices have pre-installed software, presumably provided by the Russian government, that can be used to track you. And this is smartphones, tablets, computers, smart TVs. Obviously, Apple has long fought against backdoors and you know, breaking encryption and all. And this seems to be really serious because one of the problems is I can't see Apple capitulating to this and then they would not be able to sell iPhones in Russia, would they?
2: Yeah. Well, this, this is a really interesting story because what's, what's um, what's interesting here, I guess, is that if the government of Russia has the authority to pre-install or, ha- or, you know, cause the manufacturer to pre-install software on uh, every device that's being sold like this um, on, on these smartphone devices, that makes it possible for them to drop all sorts of code and capabilities onto every phone being sold to consumers, right? Uh, Unless they're purchasing it through some other channel, right? If somebody were to go to the US, you know, uh, go to an Apple store and buy a phone there, you know, it's not going to come pre-installed with whatever comes from the Russian government. Um, Right. But, uh, but anybody who's actually buying a phone in Russia uh, once this um, takes effect would theoretically be getting some kind of software, from the Russian government. And so what are they going to do with that? Um, even if they tell you, Here's, here are the specific things that we're doing, and so you don't need to worry about it. Well, it's software, though. I mean, like, this is not open source software where you can, everyone can see exactly what's going on, and there's no need to worry because you can't trust that there's nothing else going on. I I don't particularly like the idea of a government, you know, being able to uh, have pre-installed applications or background software or whatever it might be on my devices.
1: Yeah, this is clearly going to be software that has admin privileges to be able to record things. And once it has admin privileges for that, it has admin privileges to do anything it wants. Also... What happens – let's assume that Apple does go along. And what happens when Apple makes an update to iOS that breaks this software? Um, is the software going to shut down the iPhones until it can be updated? I, this It just doesn't seem realistic for any country to impose this. And, and I can't see Apple or any of the other um, Android companies going along with this.
2: Well, and so the other thing is, like, uh, you can imagine – that this is all being done in the name of counterterrorism and things like that. We want to be able to make sure that we're protecting the children. You know, that that's always the other thing. And that we're, we're making sure that uh, the bad guys can't get away with bad stuff. Right. Those are usually the reasons for government spying that everyone kind of uh when they hear those kind of things those arguments being brought up it's easy to agree with those things because yeah i don't want the terrorists to win so yeah go for it stop them right i don't have anything to hide that's one of the most common uh arguments that uh that's made in you know in favor of that is is well i don't have anything to hide so it's fine it's totally fine because it's going to help them stop the bad guys well here's here's one of many problems with that thinking. If, well, and you brought up if that software just doesn't work very well, if it's buggy. Well, what about if it's buggy in security affecting ways? Or what if maybe it's not necessarily buggy, but it's just kind of designed poorly and someone else figures out a way to leverage that system to now spy on you? So it's not just the government necessarily who's going to be able to spy on you. Now It's hackers
1: who may be able to access your bank account or your passwords or information like that. Right. Right. So this is a problem. And we have to, um, again, just going back to the concept of the chain of trust, we're trusting Apple with our devices to provide an environment that our data is secure. And once you let a fox into the hen house, you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> so this is one of those
2: things that uh, it should make people uh, a little bit upset. and And people who live in Russia should be, you know, considering uh, how, how to react to this. Um, but uh, I, it's, it's not something that I would be very happy about. Let me put it that way, if I were a citizen of that country.
1: OK, so just before Thanksgiving, the Washington Post had an article saying authorities warn of USB outlet charging scam that steals travelers' private information. And apparently there was a warning from the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office to travelers using Los Angeles International Airport of a new scheme targeting people who need a quick boost at public USB charging stations. Um, juice jacking, they call. I like this. We I've never heard that term juice jacking. I don't know if we mentioned that. We've talked about these doctored cables, lightning cables and all that can steal information. And wasn't there even a lightning cable that had like a wifi chip in it? So oh, could yeah. actually even send it um, with Christmas coming up. So we missed warning you for Thanksgiving, but with Christmas coming up, people are going to be traveling a lot. Make sure you have your own cable. I'm, You know, the more I hear about this, I would even hesitate to buy a cable at the airport from a normal store. Because imagine someone wants to hijack data. Well, they're going to flood the stores at the airport with the cables that can hijack the data.
2: Uh, (laughs) That's true. Yeah. And you you do have to... Not that I want to give ideas to anyone, but... (laughs) You do have to be careful. Yeah. About, about the source of your cables. Um, I, I think we've mentioned before. Yeah. For this exact reason, you should be uh, ideally only getting your cables f- directly from Apple uh, with lightning cable, um, USB-C cable for charging your laptop or your uh, iPad pro. Um, you want to make sure you, whenever possible, you're getting those as directly from Apple as you can um, because it's entirely possible and has been done that uh you know these cables can be um reengineered and and you could have a cable that looks identical to the apple cable that has all of these hidden capabilities in it and by the way, I happened to notice recently uh that the uh apple watch uh charger um has a fatter uh piece on, on the end that, that plugs into your usb port. Um it's it's a little bit larger than uh than it used to be on the n- newer models of the Apple Watch. Um and I'm like, oh wow that's all the more room for malicious components you know to be hiding inside of the, there if if somebody wanted to do
1: that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a suggestion. Before you travel, um go to your favorite online retailer and buy yourself a portable power bank, battery pack, whatever they call them, you can get one that'll probably charge your phone and your tablet a couple of times, bring your own cable, so you don't have to worry about plugging your device in anywhere because it's not only the cables that could be hacked, it's the actual plugs that could be hacked as well, couldn't they?
2: Right, right, absolutely. So, um, by the way, this, this it's hilarious to me that they're saying they're warning about a new attack because Juice jacking yeah. has been discussed and at at hacker conferences since 2011. So this is kind of eight years old uh, that people have known about this pretty widely. So it's, it's uh, Brian Krebs, actually, by the way, the the reporter we were talking about earlier, he's the first one to um, coin the term juice jacking. And, and I believe this was at DEF CON in August, 2011, that that that, that term was first used. So it's uh, it's been around for a
1: while. But get yourself a portable charger, battery pack. Um, you can even get solar ones. So do that instead of plugging into something you don't know. I mean, you don't know where it's been. It's not safe. Right, exactly. So Black Friday and Christmas are the season of new TVs, aren't they? It seems to be one of the more popular things that people buy at this time of year. Lots of deals on um, new TVs. Uh, personally, I have a... 65 inch TV. And the only way I would upgrade it is if I could afford an OLED and OLEDs are way too expensive for me. And I don't care enough about TV to want to spend the money, but I've been talking to a number of friends who are looking to upgrade who don't yet have 4k TVs. Um, we have an article about what the FBI wants you to know about smart TV security before you buy on cyber Monday. Well, cyber Monday or Christmas or in the UK um, boxing day, the day after Christmas, do you remember when a TV was simple that you plugged it in and you turned it on and you stuck the, you stuck the rabbit ear plug into the back um, and you switched it and you had the vertical hold that you had to adjust. I mean, we're showing our age here. If, if you remember that, <laughs> uh-huh. um, but TVs are so darn complicated. Um, when I got the TV I have now three years ago on uh, the 65 inch, I, I spent hours going through the settings, trying to figure out how to make it look best and we're not even going to get into the whole motion smoothing thing that makes films look like soap operas. But just in terms of security, the amount of data they collect, it's extraordinary. That is true. And that, that's actually
2: such a strange concept to me. Um, I, like you, come from a world where televisions were not internet connected. And it's funny to to see that this is something that's just a standard feature on like every TV now that you can connect it to your home Wi-Fi and, uh, you know, they advertise stuff like this TV has Netflix built in or whatever, you know, streaming service. And I'm always kind of scratching my head and going, okay, that's interesting. My experience in the past with having these streaming services, you know, sort of built into the, the hardware is that those apps tend to not really get updated all that often. And so you end up with uh, software that's always kind of out of date. It doesn't really support all the features of the streaming service. Many years ago, I had a Blu-ray player that advertised that it was compatible with Netflix and Hulu and Pandora and I think some other. And then eventually after a firmware update, I noticed that one of them went away and now it only supported three of the things that were advertised on the box because some service either didn't exist or they lost the partnership deal or whatever it was. So we talked about this recently, but my advice is don't connect your television directly to your Wi-Fi. I, I would prefer to trust a device like an Apple TV and connect that to my network. And that way uh I have more control if there if there's a camera built into my television, which I I wouldn't want a camera built into my TV, but guess what? A lot of TVs have a camera built in now. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly one of the reasons why I don't even want that television directly on my Wi-Fi. Because that means someone, if someone's able to hack into my television, now they can see everything that's going on in that room where the TV is located. Oh, yeah, I don't like that. That doesn't sound good to me at all. But I do trust, you know, that an Apple TV box... It makes sense because there's no camera built in at least and and uh, those apps are updated pretty regularly. Apple issues security updates on a regular basis, and all that.
1: One of the reasons smart TVs are so cheap is because they 're subsidized by the data that the smart TV manufacturers collect and sell to advertising companies. Now, I never watch live broadcast TV If I watch something on the BBC, I use what's called the iPlayer, which is their app that broadcasts live and things that have been on before. I refuse to watch TV with commercials. So all the other channels have commercials and I just don't watch them. So they wouldn't get much viewing information from me and my TV doesn't display ads other than the ones that would be on the channels. But there is a lot of data that they can collect, which I presume is quite valuable. I was just listening to a podcast I believe if I can find it again, I'll put a link in the show notes. I think it was The Guardian had a podcast talking about how Netflix got so big. And one of the reasons they started making original content is because they had all the data about what people were watching and they knew what people were going to watch. So the idea of an Apple TV, and maybe this explains why the Apple TV is so expensive, because it's not subsidized. It does make sense. I agree with you. Uh, I do leave the Wi-Fi on on mine because that way it can do updates and things but maybe i need to rethink that because i don't really watch my tv i watch things through my apple tv consider
2: what your television needs firmware updates for you know what what are the things that are actually getting updated when it does connect to the internet well
1: the tv's operating system presumably
2: okay but I, I guess what, what
1: bugs need to be fixed on your television? Well, there's an operating system yeah. that runs the television. It's not just you know the tubes anymore that need to be adjusted. <laughs> right. um, it is a it is a computer with a big screen. Yes,
2: but yes. but if your device isn't connected to the internet, and if you're not noticing any problems while you're using your your television, fair point. Maybe it doesn't fair need point. bugs fixed necessarily.
1: Okay. Yeah, it does raise the question, um, you know, there is this market analyst named Gene Munster who pretty much every earnings call that Apple has asks when Apple's going to make a TV, a TV set, not an Apple TV box. And this almost is a reason for Apple to do that. If they could make a TV set and they're saying there's no data collected.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know if Apple really wants to get into that because then it's all about the display and, um uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't see
1: Apple going that direction. It's true that the Apple TV box does everything but the display. And as you say, you can do all your TV watching through the Apple TV, it just plugs into the display and then the display itself is essentially passive, though you still have 11,000 settings for the sound right, and the, and the right. color and the video and the refresh rate and all well, that. Well, Also, stuff. Um, it, like I, I believe we, I mentioned recently,
2: A- Apple has the Apple TV app on other devices. They're on Roku now.
1: Well, that's new now. Hold on. That's new. That's only because of the Apple TV yeah. Plus service that they've been doing this. Um, it is on Roku in, in the past few weeks. Um, Samsung, LG, Sony TVs, I think Panasonic, uh, it's only new TVs that are getting it. Interestingly, my existing TV won't because it's not new Mm -hmm. enough. Maybe there's something in the processor needs to be a certain thing, or maybe there's some sort of chip that allows different apps to work i True. don't know but but, but because um, apple's
2: and, moving that direction though that's what makes me think yet another reason why apple's probably not likely to go into the television market themselves because they're they're just they're putting themselves everywhere i guess really mainly to try to get those apple tv plus subscriptions they're trying to get people who are not yeah. buying an apple device every year and getting a free
1: subscription to pay for their subscription service but uh Or they want someone who's got an iPhone but doesn't have an Apple TV (laughs) to be able to watch Apple TV Plus on their TV set as opposed to on their iPhone. Now,
2: if Apple were selling televisions, then that would be another device that you would get a free year subscription of Apple TV
1: Plus (laughs) with. So I don't know. (laughs) Okay, last but not least is new uh, Mac malware, Lazarus. Tell us about this. Yes. Okay. so
2: last year there was some uh malware from the Lazarus group which is a North Korean hacking group and uh they released some some malware disguised as a cryptocurrency app and well they're back up to the, their old tricks again they have a new program called Union Crypto Trader at uh and and they actually have a website uh, by the way um where you can find this software and uh, this software comes with some nasty bad stuff built in which is a variant of the same malware that came out a year ago so this campaign was called operation apple juice j- spelled j e u s not j u i c e um but uh, this this campaign uh was designed to sort of get people who are into cryptocurrency and and interested in downloading apps related to it to uh, to download an app onto their mac and that ostensibly would allow them to trade cryptocurrencies well it's the same thing all over again except this time it's a new app different name different website um, but they're essentially doing the same thing. So uh, virus barrier users, use, people who are using Intego virus barrier um, are already protected. We have a, a signature available that does detect the new latest variant of this malware, um, which is detected on Macs at, uh, as OS 10 slash Lazarus dot C. So if you've got the latest version, just make sure that your, your antivirus signatures are up to date. You can run NetUpdate to uh to verify that, and uh and you'll be protected from this latest Mac malware.
1: It's almost as if this whole cryptocurrency thing is somewhat sketchy.
2: Uh yeah. You know, sometimes we we ought to talk about cryptocurrency and and what it means and in, in the sort of grand scheme of things and what are the security and privacy implications and all that kind of stuff? But, but yeah, basically, this 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 whole concept of cryptocurrencies is very interesting. The idea of having currency that is not managed or controlled by a government entity um, is is intriguing, and I think that's one of the reasons why people who are really into privacy really like the idea of cryptocurrencies because. You know, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, you don't have to rely on a government um, to uh, to have this kind of of currency.
1: So but there's so much speculation, there's so much malware around it. Um, it And there was a story just a week ago, a couple of days ago, of the CEO of one of these companies who disappeared and took the wallet with them, which contained millions of dollars worth is worth of cryptocurrency. If it's that simple to steal. Um, I'd rather stick with my, you know, good paper yeah. money. Like
2: with anything, um, you, you, you have to decide who you're going to trust. It's not realistic to really just say, trust no one, because you have to trust someone. You've got to trust whoever manufactures your device, for instance, um, because you're not making, you know, your own devices, uh, from scratch. It's just not realistic. It's not plausible. So, Uh, you know, but when it comes to these cryptocurrency, you know, trading sites and apps, um, yeah, you've really, really got to be careful with things like
1: that. That's enough for this week. We'll be back next week with more
0: news. Josh, stay
1: secure. All right. Stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac podcast, the voice of Mac security with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.